Hey, folks, we're recording this about two days after the episode you're about to listen to, because as with many situations like this, things have changed significantly. Yeah, Friday, Friday must have been trash day because a whole lot of garbage came out about the uh, OGL stuff, uh, specifically from Watsi. And we just wanted to talk about that a little bit. So we figured the easiest thing to do would be record a short intro that we can stick at the beginning. But uh, I encourage you to stick around and listen to the full episode because it's still super valuable and super relevant talking about the legal situation for OGL. So kind of where I don't know how close you want to start this, but my the first thing I want to talk about is in the second paragraph. Oh, before we start talking about anything, we should clarify um, that. On Friday, because we recorded uh, the episode on Thursday night, on Friday, Watsi uh, on the D&D Beyond blog put out an update on the Open Gaming License OGL. That's the name of the blog post. And um, I'm just going to be really kind of upfront about my feelings on this. It's a lot of corporate speak bullshit uh, where they're trying to cover their ass for the firestorm that they created through their bad business practices and poor thinking on things. Josh, do you agree or disagree with my take? Oh, I, I strongly agree. I very I just, strongly agree. By the way, this goes out to Mansedan, who I know loves when I just go off on a rant in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we can just go down it uh, chronologically um, from, from top to bottom. Uh, Josh and I have both called it up and we've each bolded parts that we want to talk about. Um, I encourage everybody, we'll put a link in the show notes to it, but I encourage everybody to go read it themselves. We're not going to read the whole thing verbatim just because it would take too long. Um, but, you know, it's the kind of it's the kind of uh, soulless mea culpa you would expect from a large corporation after they offended their fan base, quote, unintentionally, unquote. Um, Josh, if you want to kick it off, we can just start complaining about things. Yeah. So the first paragraph is basically all fluff. So I have I have nothing of interest to say about any of that. It's basically them being like, listen, listen, let's everybody slow our horses down. And then the second paragraph is where it starts getting meaty, I would say. Well, one thing I want to mention in that first paragraph is they, you know, they're talking about the three goals that they had in mind uh, for revising the OGL. And one of them is, uh, well, we wanted to address those attempting to use D&D and Web3 blockchain games and NFTs by making it clear that OGL content is limited to tabletop role-playing content like campaigns, modules, and supplements. No, you could have targeted it a lot more directly if that's actually what you were trying to do. You also, you put specific restrictions on tabletop content. You also limited VTTs in that process. Yeah. Like, it's... We're not blind wizards. The, we can the, read the document. The cognitive dissonance and intellectual dishonesty required to produce this document astound me. So the second paragraph, they're like, driving these goals were two simple principles. One, our job is to be good stewards of the game. And two, the OGL exists for the benefit of the fans. Nothing about those principles has wavered for a second. Well, I don't think that's entirely true because you've tried to do this before with 4E when you were like, hey, we don't really like how we don't make money off of third party publisher content in three and a half. So for 4E, we're going to have you purchase an OGL kit from us that gives you, quote unquote, the tools necessary to create third party publisher content. Gee, I wonder... Did you notice that there was not a lot of third-party publisher content in 4th edition? 
Did you mm-hmm. also notice that they dropped that rule for 5e and all of a sudden there's a ton more third party publisher content? Wizards, you know, it's it's you know, it's a shame Noah's not on uh, this update that we're recording because uh, this would be a prime opportunity for him to talk about wizard just com- wizards just completely forgetting things and then spin that into a pitch for his amnesia campaign for <laughs> available wherever podcasts are. Um, but yeah, it's I mean it's amazing that they're they're willfully ignoring the historical context in which some of this is set. Well, they are hoping, I would assume that no one else is thinking about any of that stuff. They're thinking about what's happening right now. What is the current situation? They're not thinking about context and they're not thinking about previous action. Well, and let's also talk about the phrase, our drafts included royalty language designed to apply to large corporations attempting to use OGL content. Say what you mean. You're trying to put your competitors out of business or at least kick them out of your yard. I mean, all right, look, I get it. Pathfinder was a big old honking double deuce to the big dog in the room because Pathfinder was quite literally a protest against the update to the OGL that they were doing with 4E. That's what that's how it started. It was a way for people to continue using 3.5 content, but for new things. I I get it. I get being like, hey, you know what? We're tired of Pathfinder and things like Pathfinder being able to do what they do off of our platform because it feels like they're engendering their own competition. I get that. I kind of understand that from a business standpoint. The problem is if you're going to do something like that, it needs to be specifically targeted towards you can't create an additional role-playing system based on our role-playing system and then use it with our rules to play your own game. Mm -hmm. That would be the way to target that. And that's not what they did. Yeah. And like, again, I also can appreciate it from a business perspective, but, you know, say what you mean. If you're if if you're doing it because you don't want your competitors to be able to benefit from your work, say that. Say that when you when you uh, have this document that you're putting out allegedly for comment and draft and it was never intended to be the final document, which is a lie also. They they talk about how uh, other expressions such as educational, charitable campaigns, live streams, cosplay, virtual tabletops, etc. will remain unaffected by any OGL update. Content also already released under 1.0a will also remain unaffected. They make it sound like that had been their intent from the first place. But mm-hmm. the problem is the 1.1 OGL explicitly said we're going to revoke 1.0a. And if it's not in 1.1, you can't do it. And VTTs yeah. weren't on that list. Live streams weren't on that list. There was a bunch of stuff that they were like, yeah, we're you're going to have to like play between the lines, basically, or we're going to shut you down with legal recourse. Which and let's like, be really let's be really clear on. about what they're still saying here. They're saying content already released under 1.0 a will also remain unaffected. They're not saying we're not going to revoke 1.0 a. Um, if you're still planning on publishing something in 1.0a, you're probably still going to be screwed unless you've already published it. I want to address the thing that I hate the most out of this too. It's from the paragraph previous to the one you mentioned. After they set up their explanation for, oh, here's why we were doing this, and you know it wasn't our intent to cause these problems for the community, they start the next paragraph with, however, it's clear from the reaction that r- we rolled a one. Shut up. Stop trying to be cute about it. You screwed up or 
you, maybe you did screw up. Maybe this was part of your intent all along because now you get to look like you're listening to the community. Um, I mentioned in the main episode that maybe this is like a sort of a price anchoring thing where they leak this um, really draconian document and then they dial it back and it's still way in their favor, but comparatively it seems a lot nicer. But anyway, shut shut up with this re-roll, we rolled a one shit. People are mad about this. You're trying to take people's livelihoods out of their mouths. Um, now, granted, it was probably a bad business decision on their part to make the cornerstone of their business your your gaming license. But still, like, stop being cute about it. You probably would not be pleased, Brandon, then to have seen the original version of this blog post, which, by the way, has been updated at least three times since it was published, huh. where there was a parenthetical in one of the paragraphs talking about, you know, this is why we had back license on your content is so that we could protect ourselves from content creators saying that we'd stolen their ideas, which mm -hmm. it's like the way you protect yourself from that is by showing that your idea is separate from their idea. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's, I feel like that's not that complex. Musicians do it all the time. <laughs> um, they had a parenthetical in there that said, you know, because a lot of content for our system includes dungeons and dragons. Yeah. And it's like, guys, the, the cheeky tone, <laughs> it's not a good time for it. Yeah, no, it's I mean, you, you talk like people talk sort of figuratively about stuff being tone deaf a lot. Like it, we're, we're coming much closer to a literal interpretation of that <laughs> with this. We the next couple sentences I wanted to get into is what it will not contain is any royalty structure. And also will not include the license back provision that some people were afraid was a means for us to steal work. That thought never crossed our minds. You liars. <laughs> There's no way that thought never crossed your minds. Are you kidding me? Now, you could say we were going to be good stewards of this license. This was literally just to protect ourselves. You're a multinational corporation. No one's going to believe that. And no one should believe that. That's don't don't say these things. Yeah. You can't be trusted with that sort of thing. No, no. Um, oh, one thing I forgot to mention um, er earlier in the document, I had bolded this and we've gotten past it. So I saw, I'm sorry, I keep backtracking. But in addition to language allowing us to address discriminatory and hateful conduct and clarifying what types of products the OGL covers, our drafts included royalty language designed to apply to large corporate. Blah, blah, blah. So the first part of that I forgot to address so they're trying to say that they were trying to prevent people, they were trying to introduce with the new OGL a way to prevent people from using discriminatory, hateful language, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's what you've been doing for the last year and a half. We've been talking about you all doing that kind of shit. <laughs> please, please get off your high horse for five minutes. That to me reads like they want legal recourse against new TSR. That mm -hmm. above and beyond the legal recourse they clearly yeah. already have yeah no, they want to be able to go hey you know what we're tired of you and your white supremacist nonsense and we're shutting it down yeah that's, that's probably that's the most they accurate want. yeah that's what they want to portray at the very least and i i could see being frustrated that someone's using your platform to do things like promote nazis yeah but now, for for anybody who's not up on the whole new TSR thing, go back in our episode list uh, a few. And there's an episode where we really discuss sort of the 
legal situation between new TSR and uh, Wizards of the Coast and the reasons for it and everything. I will try and call up that episode number before we finish this out. Yeah. Um, that's a big paragraph. I suspect you've got something bolded in there that you wanted to talk about. Um, the which the one? means to steal work paragraph. Oh, um, actually, I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there is there is a lot of that is, again, fluff. Them being like, well, look, we were never going to we were never going to steal your things. That was never our intent. Here was mm -hmm. what we were concerned about. Mm -hmm. They pro when they when they're saying we never intended to steal it, they, it, if they're being honest with themselves, what they actually mean is, well, we didn't intend to steal it. What we did intend to do was assert our rights to content that was produced independently using the rule set we designed. In their it, mind, it's not stealing. It wouldn't have been us stealing it because we owned it in our legal sense. Mm hmm. The last uh, thing I've got bolded on here is in the um, penultimate paragraph that starts with a couple of last thoughts. It says, second, you're going to hear people say that they won and we lost because you're making your voices heard forced us to change our plans. Those people will only be half right. They won and so did we. Shut the fuck <laughs> up. <laughs> Shut up. I saw someone post an incredible meme on that specific sentence, which was the uh, that scene in Thor, where the uh, the Jeff Goldblum character is like, "Hey, listen, listen, you know, we're all winners today because you couldn't have an uprising without, without me? someone to yeah. uprise against, right?" Yeah. Oh my God! Just the. <laughs> just, like this is just dripping with something, and I hate it. It's it's it like this post should be a black hole because of the amount of bullshit that's packed into that sentence. It should have achieved enough density to collapse in on itself. It is absurd. Read the fucking room. I found the earlier referenced new TSR episode. It's episode 40. Watsy and TSR lawsuit and other news. See, we even named it something simple so you can find it. <laughs> we do. We do try to make our things searchable. The last you actually hit entirely uh, my second to last bolded thing. My last bolded thing is our plan was always to solicit the input of our community before any update to the OGL. The drafts you've seen were attempting to do just that. I have a problem with this. The problem that I have with this is that lie? <laughs> I don't know a lot of drafts that are just soliciting opinions that have signed by deadlines as, you know, tentative on them. I don't know a lot of drafts of documents that are like, hey, if we could get your feedback on this, that have language like going forward, you will be required to like, excuse me. Yeah, this isn't this isn't you floating ideas. This is you borderline publishing a document and then when it gets leaked and a bunch of people blow up your spot about it you're like oh you know what we probably should rethink this so that sentence was written for a year from now two years from now three years from now when people have forgotten what actually happened and wizards has this as a record there because you're right you they said 
like Wizard sends out these surveys all the time to try to get people's input on rules, on product, on things like that. If they if this if this wasn't a lie, they would have done something like that. They would have had focus groups for it. This isn't what that was. This was them getting caught with their pants down and then shitting themselves. God, that is not a mental image I needed on this fine Saturday afternoon. <laughs> Dungeons and diarrhea. Oh. So, grand scale, grand scale, I'm glad that they're walking it back. I'm mm -hmm. pleased to see that they've realized the error of their ways. The problem that I have is that... <laughs> they, they've realized the error of their ways, but you have to replace all the S's in that sentence with dollar signs. <laughs> somebody was pointing out the other day i don't know how accurate this statistic is but i could believe it that when 4e was in its high like at its peak uh wizards of the coast had about 50 percent of the market share for ttrpgs mm -hmm. now with 5e where it's currently at well <laughs> before we before we started burning things to the ground and people started ditching their dnd beyond subscriptions Wizards had an 85% share of the market for TTRPGs. Mm -hmm. I don't know how fully accurate that's, that is, because I think there's something to be said for Wizards is also charging the most for their product. So if we're just doing this based on dollar signs, then that might be part of that. But I, it does to me feel like 5e is the biggest that Wizards has ever been. And the mm -hmm. reason it's that big is because of third-party publishers, not because they've been doing something super different, super excellent, super like well-crafted and well-thought-out. They're doing the same sorts of stuff they've always done, and they've made things a little bit more open and a little bit easier to mod and a little bit easier to play with new people, but it's still wizards doing wizards stuff. Mm -hmm. It's still like the module books are still very much in line with the sort of stuff you'd expect Wizards to be publishing. I haven't seen anything big and dramatic that's changed, but I do feel like D&D right now is so much more of a household name probably than it ever has been. And you know why that is? Because of OGL 1.0a. Because they built a community with it. They, yeah. they created something and they gave it to the community to build off of. That's how you build a brand. And they've gotten a little too big for their britches on it, and they've forgotten that, and now they're trying to consolidate, and all it's going to do is result in fragmentation of the market. Because, like, the other one of the other notes I wrote down for this update is, like, since we talked on Thursday, I've seen at least three or four more companies make an announcement about their own license and their own system that they're rolling out. A quick thing that I want to say, because it was a big part of the conversation we were having in the Discord yesterday is if you are going to go, you know what? I'm tired of Wizards of the Coast nonsense. I'm tired of Big Papa Hasbro and Grandpapa Capitalism making all the calls on all the shots everywhere. I'm getting out of here. Your friendly local game store could use that information. And if you're thinking about picking up another system and that system has a physical copy, odds are good your friendly local game store can make that purchase for you. I, of course, locally am speaking of Alpha Comics and Games, conveniently located in Willow Lawn, Richmond, Virginia. But wherever you might be listening to this from, if you're going, you know what? I'm done with d and I'm getting out of that game. I'm finding something else to play. 
here are the things I'm interested in picking up, feel free to experiment. But at the point that you're starting to buy books, instead of just buying them directly, PDF style, online, whatever it may be, if they've got physical copies, consider giving a shout out to your friendly local game store so that they can be up to speed with what everybody's doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the last thing I want to mention is in the episode, I dunk uh, a little hard on Critical Role for various reasons. And uh, also yesterday, uh, Critical Role put out a statement uh, that's, you know, kind of a lot of nothing. But if you read between the lines on it, um, it's it's not long, so I'll read it real quick. It just says, Critical Role has always supported creators and game development in the tabletop space. We stand by our industry peers, as well as anyone who takes a risk creating a new system or developing an original idea. The beauty of gaming comes from the opportunity to share inclusive, diverse, and compelling stories from a wide spectrum of creators. That's exactly why we launched our own game publishing company a few years ago, because we believe that broadening the field of creators boosts the entire industry. The success we have experienced is thanks to the passionate interest of the greater tabletop community, and we commit to fostering an environment that allows everyone the opportunity to easily share the stories they wish to tell. Signed, Critical Role. And what that tells me, and I'm not the only person who's made this observation, is that Critical Role is developing their own game system, and they are just contractually obligated uh, not to say anything about it right now. I mean, I think another thing that no one really wants to highlight too strongly because of Critical Role's current contractual obligations is that Critical Role started out as a Pathfinder 1E campaign. Gasp! (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I just felt like it was fair to mention that because I I think I may have come very close to saying something like Matt Mercer's a sellout, maybe. (laughs) I I know for sure that you were like critical role sure is quiet during all of this. Yeah. Uh yeah, but uh I I feel like that's where this is going. Like I I know they knew they needed to say something. Um but you know, I'm not I'm not going to be surprised if they start taking some steps away from Wizards of the Coast in the next couple of years. Yep. 100%. All right. Is that is that all we got? I think that's all I got. All right. Well, anyway, uh the rest of the episode is really great. We have a special guest on to talk about legal ramifications of things and sort of explain the situation. So give it a listen. But uh, we decided that enough had happened that it was worthwhile for us to take a half hour on Saturday and record something really quick to stick at the beginning of the episode. Scott, thank you very much for editing this <laughs> at the beginning of the file. We really appreciate it. Now, stay tuned for this episode of the Goblins and Growlers podcast, and we'll see you all soon. Hey Goblins, Brandon here. Uh, If you enjoy what we do and you'd like to help support us create more and maybe even take the podcast to weekly, then the best way right now that you can support us is to head over to patreon.com slash goblinsgrowlers. You can find all the different stuff we do there, one-page dungeons, uh, bonus audio for things, all kinds of stuff. So head on over there, uh, and even if it's just a dollar or, you know, however much you're comfortable doing, or if you can't put anything toward the Patreon, just tell a friend about it. Tell somebody about the podcast. That's another great way to support us. So uh, patreon.com slash goblins growlers, and we'll see you all soon. Hello, GG peeps, and welcome to another episode of the Goblins and Growlers podcast. I'm Josh Mulpey at BlackCloakDM on Twitter. I'm Brandon Dingus at WaveBrandalore on Twitter. And if Twitter's gone by the time this comes out, some other social media. And also, Josh, I've told you I don't like GG peeps.
<laughs> We've had this discussion. I love GG peeps, and you will fight me, sir. Josh, be polite and introduce our guest. Our guest today is Noah Downs Esquire at my lawyer friend on most things, including Twitter. Yeah, and Twitch and TikTok. Debated. Um, yeah, and also like G- last time I was on, you guys were talking about GG peeps versus like GG sheeple or whatever. Um, it uh, it's an ongoing discussion. Yeah, I'm starting to realize that. Do you need a lawyer? I, I. I let it ride for a little bit doing just like, hey, folks, or hey, everybody, or things like that. And then no one could make a conclusive decision about what would be a good name for our fan base. Like our, I, I posted it to the Discord. I was like, what do you guys want to be called? What do you what do you want right, to be called? Right, right. And there was nothing, no agreement anywhere. And I was like, then we're back to GG peeps. Yeah. To and answer your hate it, you have to come up with something better. To answer your question, Noah, we might need a lawyer but only if they're a cool lawyer. Hey, you know what? That's me. I'm a cool lawyer. I'm my lawyer uh, friend. Um, and let's just get this out of the way uh, before we get started here so we don't have any weird segues. Uh, Noah has a podcast called Forgotten Paths that he's going to try to find a way to sandwich into this conversation somewhere. Um, it's an amnesia campaign. And uh, they're like they're in like season two or something now, and he's a panda bear. So anyway, listen to Forgotten Paths. <laughs> That's mostly right. You're clearly not caught up, though, and I won't tell you why. Um, oh, boy. I know why. Yes, you I do. know why, and I'm not caught up either. I know. But yeah, I, no. have, I have other things going on in my life right now. That's fair. I, I also um, need to do a legal disclaimer real quick, so I'm, I'm going to just knock that out of the way. So, hi, my, do it. my name's Noah Downs. I'm a lawyer, but I'm not yet your lawyer, unless I actually am your lawyer, in which case, hi, client. Um, in the event that you are listening to this and you're hearing legal advice, it's not legal advice. It's for general information, no purposes only, which means that this does not create an attorney-client privilege relationship. And anything that I'm talking about is just, you know, for funsies. Um, your situation might be different. And so you should always consult with a local legal professional. I am available for hire. However, you have to hire me and I'm not currently your lawyer. Um, TLDR is uh, don't try this legal advice at home. Go to a friend's house. Uh, Scott, when you're editing this, can you snip out some of that stuff so we can just make a Noah's appearance soundboard so we can just mash buttons every time he comes on? Stop. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll make I'll, I'll make prank calls to Domino's with with it, just like an Arnold soundboard or something. <laughs> OK, I'm just picturing you calling Domino's and being like, this does not constitute legal advice. And they're like, OK, but what do you want to order, though? <laughs> legal advice. <laughs> for informational cool purposes only go to a friend's um, house so anyways we've got uh, we got Noah on the show uh, this time around because uh, you know everybody's talking about uh, Wizards of the Coast and OGL and the complete and total firestorm that has erupted in recent weeks from that and even today as we were preparing to have this conversation Noah's like texting us like ah this whole thing is changing we really shouldn't talk about anything specific it was rough buddy <laughs> So for uh, filthy casuals and stuff, can you just uh, give a a quick summary of what's going on, Noah? Yeah, absolutely. So um, everybody, there's this game called Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, How far back do I have to go? Um, We got to start with Gygax. We got to really give the context. So way back when, um, hang on, let me... uh, uh, no. Josh, you leave those Colossus Roars in on National Harbor. Ju- <laughs> on July 27, 1938, the world changed forever. 
um, in a hospital what? in Chicago, Illinois, the one and oh only God. Ernest Gary Gygax was born. Um, uh, child of Almina Burdick Gygax and Ernest Gygax. So he was a junior. Um, he uh, and the three nerds from the East followed the star <laughs> and to then the Midwest. He had a fight with Dave Arneson, and then we got D and D. So yeah, um, they brought gifts of Mountain Dew, Cheetos, and deodorant <laughs> and sad boy music. <laughs> um, so, uh, but anyway, so yeah, D and D. It's something that we all love. We all we all play. Uh, we all have a lot of fun with. It's not the only tabletop system out there, but it is by far the world's most popular ta- tabletop role playing game. I digress. Um, the Open Gaming License, or OGL, and we will just refer to it from here on as OGL. So remember this, it is called the Open Game License, is something that Wizards of the Coast, who owns D&D, they bought it from TSR, which was Gygax's company after he passed away in 2008. Um, well, not after he passed away, but... They bought it in 97. Yeah, they bought it in 97. So in 2000, yeah. um, the year 2000, the year that we all thought wasn't going to happen, um... Wizards of the Coast released the Open Game License 1.0a, which is a gaming license that is an open license, as it says. What does that mean? Uh, effectively, it is a license that anyone can use as long as they refer back to it. And what it allowed was for uh, creators to make and sell and use and publish adventures, monsters, monster compendiums, items, all sorts of things using the D&D system reference document, which is what we call the D&D SRD. Um, not every single aspect of D&D is in the SRD. What we have is the certain things are specifically excluded, like the Beholder and a few other spells and stuff like that. But for the most part, everything you need to play, the basics of D&D is included in the SRD, which means that you... I like to, I like to refer to explain to people it's just the free rules with enough to get you going. Exactly, exactly. Um, and so the open game license, uh, the open game license was around for 23 years and it created, it allowed wizards of the coast to publish like the keystone works of D and D like about five works a year, whether they be adventures or compendiums or anything like that. Um, and then it also allowed wizards to let other people build D and D it built a community. Um, where people could publish, like I was saying before. So the pressure came off of Wizards to cultivate and create content year-round and employ hundreds of artists and writers to make sure that this ravenous fan base that was growing every single day um, was fed. Until, like, two weeks ago. Keeping in mind, today is January 12th, 2023. Um, I know we don't like to date things, but I'm doing it. Um, and so... That license was in place for 23 years, and it gave rise to some amazing publications and publishers. So, for example, Paizo, publishing Pathfinder, was created under the OGL. You have Kobold Press, Hitpoint Press, both rely on the OGL to publish their adventures. DM Dave, the Griffin Saddleback, um, uh, all of these relied on the OGL. But it goes past all of that. Um, You also have... Uh, individuals who are creating things under the OGL that you're not even thinking about. For example, Star Wars. Star Wars released this wonderful game. Tell me if you've heard of it, guys. KOTOR, Knights of the Old Republic. Mm -hmm. I played it uh, until 4 or 5 in the morning many times back in the early 2000s. Yeah. 
Now, Knights, Knights of the Old Republic, that's the one with the purple jester looking guy by Sega, right? And he's kind of jumping around and collecting things. What are you referencing? Nights into Dreams. Oh, the Josh, that is a that is an <laughs> F side cut. That <laughs> Josh, that makes me really upset at you. <laughs> Anyways, um, you're so welcome. But please go on. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, but uh, yeah, so Knights, so Knights of the Old Republic one and two, um, is a is a is a based on the Star Wars D twenty RPG system, which is actually based on the OGL. So the advancement systems in those video games is based on this open gaming license. Well, Wizards of the Coast said, hey, Papa Hasbro, who's since bought Wizards of the Coast since the OGL was published, uh, decided that D&D is under monetized. Uh, and so they, <laughs> they, uh, they said, we're going to revoke the old OGL, the one that's been around since the year 2000, and issue a new one, OGL 1.1. And it's caused absolute chaos. Obviously, I figure we'll get into what specifically is in 1.1, but that's that's the scene setting. Um, Wizards- TLDR, people are going to have to start paying wizards. Yeah. Well, real quick, I think it's messed up that Papa Hasbro is like, you know what's really under-monetized at Hasbro is this these Wizards of the Coast products. I think we really need to be doing a better job of monetizing those when they are... 50% of our annual revenue. Yeah. It's wild. That's that's grandpapa capitalism talking. <laughs> I hate capitalism. <laughs> it's 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 killing D&D. And so some of the things that are salient to discuss that are in OGL 1.1. One, it's requiring uh, creators over a certain size and get that get a certain amount of revenue to pay um uh a 25% license to Wizards of the Coast. Um, once they hit a certain revenue threshold. So basically, um, well there, if you have a super successful Kickstarter and it goes over that revenue threshold, you're suddenly going to start getting cut into. And I can go into specifics on this in a little bit. It also granted Wizards um, a, a, the right to reproduce and resell your works without your permission or authorize other people, a critical role or something like that to do the same. Um, basically, divorced your ownership of your works from you and also, in certain cases, required you to pay a license. And worth noting, the word he used was revenue, not net sales, not profits, revenue. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if you surpass that threshold and you are making something that is just barely above cost, they're still taking 25% of whatever you've got. Yeah. Better minimize those variable costs. Yeah. To kind of to kind of dive into to exactly what the the proposed initial costs were, or it was a three tiered royalty system. Oh my god, man, you're gonna have math nerds and legal nerds listening to this and like, oh yeah, three tiered royalty system, net revenue, net sales, gross revenue, and then you're gonna have everybody else that's just like, okay, and then they're gonna move on. It's another lawyer episode. Um, well, you've got like you've got like the lesser nobility that's like your dukes and your earls, right? And then you've got like people who are actually in right. line to be taking the throne. Right. Those are your princes, princesses, those sorts of people. The heirs. And then of course you have the actual, the actual like people in charge, your queens, your kings, those sorts of folks. Um, that's three tiered royalty. Your little fingers, actually. The actual people. Oh. In I I try not to think about people's little fingers. Yeah, that's anyway. Well, the, the good thing about the three tiered 
uh, royalty system is once they hit that third tier, that's when a lot of the class features start to kick in and they can really start having <laughs> Stop. fun with it. Okay, so here's what the three-tiered <laughs> system is. So it's not a character progression and it's not a feudal system. Um, oh. Uh, I know, but the three-tiered systems, basically if you accept OGL 1.1, which you're forced to do because you can't publish otherwise, um, you you and you make less than $50,000 a year. You have to every year tell Wizards of the Coast, I made less than $50,000 this year. That's of gross revenue. That's all the revenue that comes in. If you make more than 50K, you have to tell Wizards how much you're making and from what, and then provide them copies with it upon request. Um, that you know allows Wizards to kind of document your growth as a company. A lot of stuff that you keep confidential. Um, and then if you make $750,000 a year for every Dollar above seven hundred and fifty thousand, you pay a twenty five percent royalty. So, for example, if you make seven hundred fifty thousand dollars and one dollar, you have to pay a quarter, which doesn't sound like a lot. And you're also thinking, "Hey, I've never made a dollar off D and D in my life. I don't have to worry about that." That's not necessarily true. Um, that. $750,000 threshold is actually very specifically crafted because that's where most successful Kickstarters kind of hit. Like you see these $80,000 and $60,000 Kickstarters, good for them, that's fantastic. But if you're running multiple Kickstarters a year, you're going to hit that $750,000 threshold pretty quickly. In addition, when you're running your Kickstarters, as everyone here can attest to, you have to incorporate a lot of costs into that. So you have to hire designers, printers, writers, um, you have to pay for uh, add-ons and promotional uh, tier stuff. And at the end of the day, you still have to be able to find a way to pay yourself and your company. Yeah. And so many of those of the third-party publishers these days have adopted the Kickstarter model mm -hmm. for get everything, getting everything published. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's... Well, and if you talk to anybody in any kind of merchandising field where they are creating merchandise of some kind, ask them about... Uh, how much of their stuff they get a 25% margin on or more. And I guarantee you, most of them will laugh at you because getting a 25% margin on anything would be just absolutely stellar for most of the stuff that people make. It's mostly just people that resell dice. Um, and and you definitely make more 25% margin on that. But um, most people make like a 5 to 10% margin. So... If you're having 25% cut off the top, then you're going to have a massive issue. It's going to really disincentivize Kickstarter. Well, we've actually found out since is that um, Kickstarter had to talk them down from 50% in order to engage in the strategic partnership that they did enter into. Um, and so I think, I think for Kickstarter specifically, they landed on 20%, at least based on the draft I saw. Right. And then literally... Anything else, whether it's uh, GoFundMe's, Indiegogo's, or just straight up revenue, right? That's all twenty five Patreon, all that jazz. Um, yep. And so that's going to really kind of cut into your ability to generate revenue if you are doing this as a business. I mean, well, let, let me, I like, let me stop you there because this is the question that's just gnaws at me for this whole thing. Like, like they they're not stupid. Like. They they know that this is going to drive so many third party publishers either out of business or into a different system, and and the bigger third party publishers we've already seen are launching either their own open systems or other system neutral type stuff. 
So like, what's what's the end game on this? Because it seems very much like a, a short term move that's reactionary rather than strategic. Well, I mean, that kind of is the watchword of the year for Wizards, isn't it? Is re- yeah. reactionary instead of strategic. Um, and that is because uh, I don't think Wizards of the Coast realized what the outcome here was going to be. I think Wizards fully believes that the reason D&D is so popular is because of Wizards of the Coast um, and not because of the community that's developed around it. Um, wh- that's such an amazingly tone-deaf perspective. Because, right. like, what do they think? Do they think Critical Role is going to give them 25%? No, Critical Role is going to switch to something very easily where they don't have to pay them that. Well, Critical Role is going to be a sweetheart deal. You know what I mean? And that's a lot of bullshit is what that is. I mean... <laughs> Yeah, but if you want to call it Matthew Mercer and tell him he shouldn't have it, be my guest. Um, I'm happy to call him a sellout. <laughs> I don't endorse this because I've met him. Um, so if if he, <laughs> you know, I know it's beyond just him, but like if they if they just say, yeah, this is what we're going to do, then they are just the 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 outest of cells that you could possibly be. It uh, and so I don't know where critical role is going to fall in and I know that they are against the OGL changes as proposed. Um but obviously Wizards of the Coast has already said that they're walking back a lot of what they announced with OGL 1.1. So today there's a leaked document um called the OGL 2.0 and it was supposed to be released today. But because of the community backlash earlier, um they Wizards of the Coast like canceled their twitch stream and their announcement post and everything because we in the open hashtag open dnd community got half the fucking internet excuse my french that's gonna need to be bleeped in it um now you get one it's pg-13 okay good so we got half the fucking internet to <laughs> now it's the same one <laughs> to uh to cancel their dnd beyond subscriptions if you look at twitter I don't, they, they have to be feeling that at this point. So, yeah, um, yeah there's a lot you, going on. Do you think, though, that the 1.1 was sort of a version of price anchoring where they put that out there and then everybody explodes about it? So they release something that's more favorable, but still pretty bad, but just looks better by comparison. Absolutely. Um, I fully believe that that was definitely part of uh, price anchoring, however. Um, I do think that Wizards, where where they try and get us to land, is not going to be great. So with the 2.0 FAQ that was leaked, um, it's it reduced from 25 to 20 percent, and then they said, "Oh, and we're also not going to exercise the license to your content that we claim that we could." Now that's an FAQ that we saw. It's not an actual copy of 2.0. I'm hoping that we see 2.0 soon because I cannot wait to dive into it. Mm-hmm. It just. Just the whole thing. Just I, I just can't believe it, especially after like toward the end of last year where they're like, oh, the new SVP of D&D. He's like he's really committed to D&D. He's he came up as a fan of it and everything like that. And I know it's a business decision that goes far beyond him at a super high level. But just making making that kind of move and then turning around and doing this. I mean, it's kind of ironic that the best word I can come up with to describe their behavior is draconian. Yeah, right now. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's. I mean, it's just insane this kind of behavior because, like, they they can't. I, I guess I just sort of look for sort of the best in people or presume the best of them. It's like they can't look at the state of the hobby as it is now versus where it was ten years ago and be like, "This is all built on our backs." Right. 
that's the thing is it, it's it's enormous hubris and it, it completely it, it shows it demonstrates a complete lack of touch with the community do you think well i guess i'm projecting a little bit further on this like you know this all goes through the 2.0 thing happens it wizards gets what they want because one or one or the other wizards is going to get what they want regardless of how the community responds to it which like is wizards a going, smoking crater where dnd used to be yeah yeah wizards gonna do what wizards gonna do and i like i feel like it's because i've seen this in, re- in wrestling communities a lot uh you know it's going to set up this sort of casual versus hardcore divide where you're going to have a bunch of casuals who are just like oh you know D, why are you trying to be such a you know a hardcore gaming nerd we'll just use D. yeah you know what does it matter and then you have the people like us who i don't consider myself like a hardcore gaming nerd but also like i know there are other systems out there i know there are other publishers out there and i want to use them point of order you said you're not a hardcore gaming nerd as you sit in front of a pinball machine and three arcade games four there's actually games? four there's actually four, and there's another one that's out of out of frame. Yeah, yeah. But that's that's a different kind of gaming. I'm talking specifically about tabletop gaming, oh, and right. the pinball table I, doesn't count. Right. So you you do like just just for just for putting yourself in frame here, you are a host of a tabletop and adjacent products podcast, and you're also like a of prolific the company writer. that you own. Here's the difference. Here's the difference <laughs> that I'm drawing. I'm not the kind of person who's playing a tabletop role-playing game for five nights a week and playing in multiple campaigns at the same time. That's what that's that's the kind of player that I'm talking about when I'm talking about, you know, really like hardcore tabletop players. I'm beyond casual and I am professional, but I am not like I'm not doing that. Cause even if I had the time to do that, I wouldn't do that. I will say but that we're getting by, by that definition, Gary Gygax was not a hardcore tabletop gamer, and he is the father of role-playing games. But he was a hardcore war gamer. I will not dispute this. Yeah. (laughs) But what I was getting at is like, I feel like this is going to create some sort of like essentially two parallel lines of the hobby where you've got at least people like young, like new players, younger people, people who aren't as aware of sort of the wider community of the hobby who are just going to be like, well, D&D equals dice and pencils and paper at the table. And you're going to have folks like um, Cobalt, Paizo, who already are sort of fighting for scraps from the 10,000-pound gorilla. Their market share is going to be fractured even more because they're going to be like, well, you can play our stuff, but, I mean, you do have to learn this new system. Right. And even if it's analogous, uh, like as legally analogous to D&D as it can possibly be, that's still going to be a barrier to entry for people. Yeah, I think that it's it's going to cause a lot of friction in the hobby. Um, you know, uh, here's the thing. D&D was convenient because everyone was writing for it. There's a lot of amazing systems out there. We were just talking about this at MagFest. Mm-hmm. And I think that, uh, you know, Paizo just announced that they're working on a new D&D open license. Mm-hmm. Uh, DM Dave, as of this writing, has talked about how he he is going to be publishing under the cool, the creator original open license. Um, mm-hmm. Somebody very cool also wrote that. Yeah, um, uh, I had I had a chance to skim through the SRD you sent me uh, this morning before work, but yeah. I'm going to try and read it in a little more detail this weekend. Yeah, and and so I think that it's going to lead to a lot of fracturing in the hobby um, mm-hmm. because here here's what we kind of see developing right now is we see wizards going off and just saying, fuck this. We hate you guys, and we're going to take all your money. 
not really, but that's a paraphrase. They're going to take, we're going to take 25% of your money. Yeah. Um, then you have like this old boys club of Paizo and Kobold Press and, and that crew saying, no, screw them. We're going to fight this all the way. Um, here is our plan. But we're the old boys club, so get on board. And then you've got this crew of the younger publishing creators who are kind of looking around saying, well, what about us? We're the ones that tweeted hashtag open D&D for 12 days when nobody else was saying anything. Where do we live? Um, And I think that what we honestly need in this industry is an association of creators, like a formal entity association of creators so that old boys club and wizards can't box them out. Um, I don't get me wrong. I think that what Paizo and Kobold are doing is fantastic, but I do think that they could do a better job of reaching out to the younger, more significant, and also smaller creators in the industry, um, and creating a welcoming space for all instead of doing the same thing that Wizards is doing, which is making something that they're just going to profit off of and hand down edicts from on high. No, let ah, me ask you. So you want us to unionize? Now you're speaking Brandon's language. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> let me let me ask you a question, Noah. Um, without the benefit of knowledge of the last few weeks of all this stuff going on, um, let's let's think about if we're if if it's like January or February of last year, and okay. we're sitting here talking, you know, about just uh, ownership and IP for this kind of thing. Would you? say because i've thought this for a long time that it's just generally a bad idea for so many um creative houses to have the backbone of their income based on something that they did not own no matter how open closed or ajar that license was yeah you should never build your ip on something that somebody else owns i say as i am the um dm of the forgotten pats podcast which is a here it comes 5e podcast that's it's an amnesia podcast so we kind of forgot where we came from uh-huh. uh that you well, can hopefully you only podcasts. hopefully every year you only make uh no more than seven hundred and forty nine thousand dollars yeah from that exactly. podcast. Well, well podcasts fall under the fan content policy exactly. and are significantly less at risk than things like i don't know let's say a small company that produces things like one page dungeon compendiums just uh-huh. as an example possibly it's, for at that point for me it becomes the principle of the thing like like if if this if this company is completely screwing over the creative community why should i can why should i continue to give it air with its system yeah uh just because they're giving me a nicer deal here's the thing is that dean i, I don't think the community would have reacted as strongly to the news that um wizards is trying to do anything with the ogl um if it hadn't been for the fact that Wizards gave nothing back in return. They're taking with giving nothing back. They're what would saying, you suggest they give back in return in, in exchange for this massive take? Marketing opportunities. Using their platform mm-hmm. to elevate creators. Um, jobs, featuring, uh, that kind of stuff. Um, pumping uh, in community contests. Sponsoring one-page dungeon contests. Sponsoring people doing uh, creation and, and occasionally you know, having a Kickstarter application fund. Something like that, where the money that goes, a uh, portion of the money that's raised from the royalties here goes back into the community. Would you would you say that Wizards just fundamentally doesn't understand communities? Like, they understand hard 
business and numbers, but they don't understand communities or fan bases. Not just theirs, but it just sounds like in general. I think Wizards understands communities every other edition of D&D. Because <laughs> um, here's the thing. You look at what, what happened with uh, D&D 4E, which is mm-hmm. the last time this happened. And now, then we had 5th edition. Everything was wonderful. And it's like Star Trek movies. Yeah, exactly. It's, like every yeah. other time they get it right. And so, um, but in this particular case, it's, it's you know, you know, quote unquote, 6E or 1D&D is coming out. And um, and they're messing up again. All right, we'll end the podcast right there. Uh, Wizards is messing up again. <laughs> Wizards, you done fucked up again. <laughs> a a conversation I had with another uh, owner of another small publishing company that has worked with OGL content up to this point. Uh, while we were at Magfest, literally on Sunday, right before we left, uh, trying to recall the name of the company. He couldn't give me a business card because he didn't bring any. It was like, I think it was IO Publishing. Oh, anyway. Oh, was it the conversation? Maybe. Listen, let's name off all all the small publishers we know. Well, yeah. (laughs) Well, quick shout out to Ninth Level Games. They're fantastic. So. Uh, it was it was a conversation held in the vendor hall after I had been up until 3 a.m. playing games in the Indicate. So cool. let's just say my memory's not great to begin with. Mm, this sounds like and it was problem. hard to hear someone talking. So moving moving on from the specifics of who I was talking to, because I don't recall exactly. And if you're out there, shout yourself out, because I will absolutely promote that. This is doubly funny oh. for me because you never mentioned this to me at all while we were there. <laughs> Because I knew we were going to talk about this on the podcast. Uh-huh. This podcast you invited uh, me to yesterday. We yeah. talked about this. We talked about inviting you to the podcast. During, literally, I texted Josh during a panel <laughs> we were doing when all of us were give, doing the panel and said, hey, we should have Noah on to talk about this. That's fantastic. The conversation he and I had was that we, as small publishers, are kind of nervous about the concept of the community fracturing. We are community builders, especially as smaller publishers, we rely a lot on there being a large community of people who are interested in these sorts of products. If we're creating something that's wholly new, wholly original, completely cut from its own cloth, then how do we then, we don't have the marketing money to be able to be like, oh yeah, you know, like, here's why this is really cool. Here's why you need to be on board with this. And he was saying to me, that his big concern was precisely because this was before Cobalt Press had announced their Black Flag initiative. This was before Paizo had announced, uh, I'm trying to recall what they're calling theirs, but it's it was before they had announced these things. He was like, I'm afraid that some of the slightly bigger publishers are going to go, how about everybody comes under our banner and then we have to try to migrate everything we've been doing for years under someone else who may or may not treat us right as well. And I had I had to fully agree with that as a concern. You know, like I don't want to migrate under a banner of some group that maybe looks out for my best interest, which is why I thought the cool concept was a much stronger idea because that's something that's a little more unifying. That's something that's a little more round table for everyone. It's the sort of thing where Everyone who is 
bringing something to the table has a voice at the table. Yes. <laughs> I, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I agree with all that. The other thought I have too is, um, you know, quick, quick shout out to raging Swan press, which is a fantastic publisher. Um, they actually inspired me when I was uh, accidentally starting Goblins and Growlers once upon a time. Uh, but they publish their uh, adventures in like three different formats. One of them's 5e, one of them's system neutral, and then one of them I think is Pathfinder. Um, but I always downloaded or I always bought and downloaded the system neutral versions right. of it. Because if you're, a, you know, even like one quarter competent running a game, you can go through that story and just make calls of what kind of checks you need people to run and what's applicable. I personally, I would prefer to see a future where we're all writing stories that we can later apply mechanics to at our, at our choice rather than writing adventures with built-in mechanics from system A or system B or system C. And, and this is going to sound like I'm trying to plug it again, but I'm really not. That's exactly what I was doing with Forgotten Paths. Um, mm -hmm. was I, I had a story that I was really passionate about, and I know that D&D &D is popular, and it's something that people can really get behind. So I said, hey, here's the bare minimum mechanics you need to understand this. But I swear, we haven't had a fight in forever because people mm -hmm. are just role-playing and having a good time. So, like, uh, you sure you can say make a perception check or you just tell somebody to roll and then arbitrarily assign a number in your head. Um, there's a lot that you can do. Yeah, yeah. And it, as Josh can attest to this, in the last couple of years, we've sort of migrated a lot of our one-page dungeon writing off of 5e mechanics and into something a little bit more system neutral. Mm -hmm. I mean, kind of regardless of the outcome of this whole thing, I think I'm sort of committing myself that I'm only going to write system neutral stuff going forward or something for like some sort of community owned system or, or something like that. I will say that that's going to be a little bit difficult um, for some people. Some people are really, really struggle with it as I've found over the last few days because part, mm -hmm. I mean, so think about it this way for companies like the Griffin Saddleback, fantastic company. Um, I've been talking to Griff about this whole situation. And here's the thing is that the reason Griff Griff's kind of like pipeline is people see his content on Instagram and say, hey, that's D&D &D content because they can recognize certain terms that are, are tied to D&D &D because of the popularity and colloquiality of of D&D uh, of &D as a system. People are like, oh, I can just directly incorporate that. And then people click on his stuff, go to his Patreon, start to support him. That's how he builds his business. Um, and so losing the ability to reliably talk about D, D directly could be a huge blow to him so while it's great to write system agnostic adventures that's not going to work for everybody yeah I, I'm, i'll disagree with you on that because well, then I let's think fight. Can, yeah sure um <laughs> i think you can still have those conversations and talk about those things but that doesn't mean that the actual substance of the writing has to adhere to the mechanics and be subject to their rule system that's true i can see that i i yeah i like i it sounds insulting when i say this and i don't mean it that way but i think that's kind of a myopic view of how to run a business and market your business um i think it, that that's when you need to take a step back and look sort of more broadly from a solutions oriented perspective of like how do i overcome this rather than oh this is going to crush me griff if you're listening um brandon hates you uh yeah you can get me you can get me at at way of brandalore <laughs> On Instagram and Twitter. <laughs> Here's the thing I'm going to say on that. And this is, 
not not to bring out full on middle manager energy as I so often do when people are disagreeing in front of me, but one of the appeals of being able to write something that has a system at least loosely attached to it is that the person you are selling that product to does not then have to do their own work when they get home. They can just take what you've written and slot it very neatly right. into whatever they're already playing and just run with it. And I don't think I don't think Cobalt Press can go completely system agnostic. Cobalt Press that makes sense for what Paizo they do at could all. go system agnostic. They're big enough that they could do that and but really it not miss it. Would a affect their bottom line. Noah, anything that happens after this point is going to affect people's bottom line. And creators are faced with a choice. They can either knuckle under to whatever Watsi decides to do with the thought that like, oh, well, if I don't sort of koto to Watsi either through money or marketing or using their terminology to help push my sales, then nothing's ever going to change. The they're they're going to maintain their dominance. The only way anything's going to change is if people like step back and acknowledge that they have basically allowed a monopoly to incur. Not only have they allowed a monopoly to occur, but they have put helium into that balloon every time they roll dice on their table. So and they're gonna have to change it. So you think the only way to save the planet Earth is to leave it? Exactly. <laughs> we have to start building the ships now. Also, is it Kotow or is it Kowtow? I always thought it was Kowtow. That distracted me so much. I've it never really heard did. Not gonna lie. before. <laughs> well, here's my uh, senior manager energy. <laughs> I am a professional writer and editor over a content division. So that's how I pronounce it. <laughs> the thing I'm paying attention for the next three minutes, but I'm actually Googling this. The thing I'm going to say on that <laughs> is I think there is a better solution than leaving systems behind. I think the solution is Linux. Mm -hmm. We create something that is a loosely enough generated system with terminology that is open and it's free and anyone can use it and it's not GURPS, but that... Uh, <laughs> But that you can kind of. What did what did the robot say? I heard the robot say it something. said. It said. Kowtow. My my refutation of that uh, AI generated noise right there <laughs> is: How do you pronounce the acronym for Knights of the Old Republic? Kowtor. <laughs> Kowtor. <laughs> But isn't isn't Kowtow with W's in it in two places? It's got it's got W's in it, bruh. It's got Whatever. dub W's. Whatever. So you know you know what you're doing. You know what you're doing. <laughs> you're serving Wizards of the Coast interests by trying to deflect the subject of this conversation. No, no, no. I, 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 I I will say I don't think we should leave the planet Earth. I think we should try and stay with it because um it's 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 the planet Earth that we all know and come to love and we've cultivated it and tried to make our home here. And so I think that um, Planet Earth being D and D five E. The thing is, though, like obviously these other systems are fantastic. I would love to go to Dantooine, but I can't um, because well, I can, but it just takes a long time to get there. And so if I can stay here, that would be super dope. I like it. It's comfy. Um, and so the problem is, is when is when you've got the Elons of the world that are just ruining the place. And in this case, Wizards of the Coast is Elon Musk. 
But what's what's your solution for fixing it though? Because it's it's one thing to say that, but we're talking about a public company here. I'm, you know, I'm so nervous, so nervous that we're gonna get a defamation where Watsi is like, "How dare you call us Elon Musk?" And then Elon Musk will get us defamation for, yeah. Anyway, go on. Calling He'll just you take us off Twitter, <laughs> um, as as he'd call it. Um, but uh, yeah, no. So I mean, here here's the dealio: is that uh, I think that what's going to take is somebody standing up to Wizards that has nothing to lose, and mm-hmm. that doesn't mean uh, uh, you know, Paizo has the resources to stand up to Wizards, but they've chosen not to. Mm-hmm. I think that they might fight it, but I think that they're probably just yeah. more, more than likely just going to move on. That's what they, they had something in their press release that was like, we'll fight this in court if we have to, but we don't want to, which seems like it was put in there just so they could say they were willing to do it. Yeah. What what this is going to take is this is going to take a small publisher with nothing to lose and nowhere else to go. Someone mm-hmm. who isn't being listened to by any camp and said, hey, this is what we do. So we want to stay here because we don't have the resources to get a rocket ship and go. Um, so what you're telling and, us is we need a hero. We need a hero at the end of the night. Yeah, I do. Um, I mean, companies like Goblins and Growlers are perfectly situated for that. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. There is there is yeah. a certain this reminds, this value. reminds me of a conversation we had some <laughs> days ago. <laughs> there is a certain value to being our size. And, and being publishers. Oh my God. (laughs) I was going to say, and to be. It's a dick joke. The other, the other thing I was going to say, there's a benefit to being our size and being owners who also have day jobs. Is that (laughs) if Goblins and Growlers goes super bankrupt because Watsy sues our pants clean off. We just shut it down, baby. We close those doors. Yeah. We open new doors elsewhere. Like, it's not a big deal. <laughs> yeah. I have a feeling our attorney should not be encouraging this kind of open conversation. Hey, did you hear this disclaimer? I'm not your lawyer right now. I'm a lawyer. He's a, Noah has suspended the rules of his representation of us <laughs> for the duration of this recording. But seriously, is- I, do think that, I do think that it is worth it for somebody to stand up. Um, because at the end of the day, I think that they might have a claim. Mm-hmm. What does that look like, though? Um, it is. It is. Here's the here's the wonderful thing about the OGL 1.0a. It lacks any jurisdiction or venue clauses, meaning that if Wizards does revoke it and someone says, "Wait a second, you can't do that," and they have been injured by it. So they've suffered an injury, whether it be, you know, whether, you know, lost revenue or something like that. Um, (laughs) Then wizards can be sued anywhere. Pretty much anywhere wizards can be found, which is in Mm -hmm. most states. They have sufficient contact. Like what's, I mean, what's the legal argument there though? Is it that they're not allowed to revoke 1.0? Yeah, it's that uh, they put out uh, a license that everyone relied upon to the detriment of their business, uh, which caused harm, detrimental reliance claim. Um, uh, this is not legal advice to be very fucking clear. Um, <laughs> and I self-censored there. Um, Scott, leave that, leave that in. <laughs> yeah, um, this is not legal advice. Um, but I think that somebody could potentially make a claim like that. Um, because at the letter of the law, yeah, the OGL 1.0a is revocable because it expressly does not say that it's n- not. Um, 
Uh, however, I think that leads to an inequitable result, which means that the laws of equity should step in to fix that. Um, and that is why we have the courts. Mm -hmm. Let's say they revoke 1.0 tomorrow. What happens? Like what, what is the responsibility of like your, your, your Paizo or your Cobalt who's got a warehouse full of books that were published under 1.0? If they were already published in the 1.0a, Wizards has said, and my my legal reasoning states that if they are already published in reliance on that license, and you just have stock that you're selling out of, or you're just doing a reprint with no changes, you're clear. Um, if you are editing, updating, adding appendices, drafting something new, or haven't published it already, and you're planning on publishing it on Monday, but you can't, then you're in a very gray area. Let me ask you uh, a hypothetical question. What if you have something that's not ready to be published, but you go ahead and publish what you got, and then you uh, treat that, like any changes you make to it later, you treat that as an update? Uh, Updates might cause issue and lead to problems with republishing. Just trying to help people find loopholes. (laughs) That said, it depends. Yeah, I know. that I can tell. Uh, It kind of depends on... It depends on it depends on how big you are as a publisher. Wizards isn't going to care about you if you're making less than fifty. Yet, yeah, yet. I'm not asking this question to any particular person. Uh, I'm just sort of thinking it out loud. Could like could a business, a small business like that, could they? If they end up making more than $50,000, let's say, let's say they make $60,000 that year, much in the same way that if at the end of the tax year, I realize I've kicked myself up into another bracket, can I dump money into a Roth IRA (laughs) to help lower my tax burden? I wonder if a company can do that by like making a charitable donation. No, because it's it's, uh, on revenue. Yeah, it's gross income, not net. So. You are you're taxed on your gross income, yes, but you get tax breaks for things like contributing to a Roth IRA or charity or things like that. Now that has to be contributions from your revenue into those places. It can't be like if you were to receive an influx of ten thousand dollars and then immediately donate that to charity, that does not then reduce your previous gross by ten thousand dollars. That reduces that revenue step is a real bitch. <laughs> yeah, it's really hard yeah. to get around. Yeah, yeah. So, well, I mean, don't make money. That's the easy. That's the easiest way to get around. <laughs> hey, don't worry. I'm very good at not making money sometimes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Other times, I, I I'm very to, good at making money. Yeah, I, I had a, a former partner who uh, was uh, like excellent at creating anything. Like they could, so they could build stuff and everything. And they were like, "Yeah, I could make anything." Except fucking money. <laughs> That's awesome. Ugh. Yeah, guys. Um, yeah. Anyway, this is a real bummer. This is a real bummer for the community because I was starting to feel like uh, D&D was getting to a really good place and there was some really good energy out there from the company and the community. And this kind of sucks. You got to have something that kills the golden age. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just didn't think it would be them themselves. Uh, yeah. Here's the issue is what I anticipated happening was that Watsy was going to finally get big enough off of all of the like free marketing that all of these third-party publishers have been doing to be like, 
I'm going to start buying third-party publishers. And They're I'm just going, going be to be the Vince McMahon of tabletop role. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and that's the thing is like you, you knew we all knew that um that Watsy was going to release uh was going to incorporate critical failures into the official rules for open D&D. I just didn't think they'd incorporated into their early announcements leading up to it. <laughs> mm. <laughs> nice. Nice. No, what do you what do you speculate the next move in this whole thing is going to be? I think they're going to release OGL 2.0. Um, I think that they're going to try and walk some of it back. And there's an element to me. There's an element to them potentially just waiting it out. Um, you know, kind of like the go to the pub and wait till this all blows over. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, because you can only maintain outrage so long. Um, mm-hmm. and that's what the open D and D movement has right now on its side is that it's got outrage. Um, but at a certain point you get tired. I'm, I'm tired. Like I'm exhausted after this week and, uh, in keeping things up and posting that medium article and continuing to go, it's, it's exhausting. Um, but you just keep on trucking. I think the SEO friendly title for this episode should be, we should sue wizards question mark. Please. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> huh? Hmm. <laughs> As your lawyer, <laughs> go for it. Uh-huh. I love the question I mean, mark ex- on the end of that. Well, I mean, if you sue wizards, I make a lot of. Money. <laughs> <laughs> so, so go nuts. Yeah, no, I know what you mean about sustained outrage. It's just like it's whenever something's going on in politics, I just and I and it annoys me to even read about. I just ignore it for like two weeks and then it goes away. And oh, I never man. have to hear about it again. And uh, it's just it just means that people are just going to roll over and accept it because it's easier to roll over and accept it than do something positive for the community. Well, now, hold yeah. on. Hold on. Because I think the big thing here is that if OGL is, in fact, detrimental to third party publishers, third party publishers are going to migrate away because they can't live under that umbrella they can't i'm talking about i'm talking about players i understand that but the point that i would make on that is that if everyone who's been publishing third-party publisher content for wizards of the coast under the dnd 5e ogl all of that sort of stuff if they all migrate away or even if even if not all even if most migrate away and start creating content elsewhere suddenly you're back to having that same content drought that 5e had when it first came out because so many third-party yeah. publishers wanted nothing to do with 4e and they were like we're gonna wait until 5e has its bugs figured out before we decide whether or not we're gonna do anything with that there's a reason yeah, and we were almost there we were almost there 5e having its bugs figured out <laughs> yeah there's a reason why pathfinder got so big and stayed so big even after 5e came out and just scooped a whole big chunk of the market back. There's a reason I could, I've been sitting in alpha comics and listening to people walk through and look at the shelves and go, yeah, I mean, all of this is cool, but like we mostly play Pathfinder. So none of this really applies to us. I've heard that conversation in my friendly local gaming store. Huh. I've always, I've, uh, this is just because of the the friend that I have that plays Pathfinder, just their general attitude. I've always had a concept in my head of Pathfinder as hipster D and D. About to say is is, 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 Path, is Pathfinder the the people that uh, that drink craft brew and and 
and tell you that your Miller Lite sucks. Well, they wear Doc Martens and peg their jeans. Well, I don't I can't say that for certain because it is Richmond. So, you know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of that crowd out here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I will be honest with you. I um, I, I have nothing but respect for those people. So. um, What what other points do we feel like we need to make? Um, good God. Uh, you know, this is ever changing and evolving. Um, uh, I think the, the most important thing to take away from this is to support your creators. Um, you know, uh, especially in their old age when they can't live on their own anymore. Support your creators and support support your gold prospectors. Oh, yes. I remember once when I was a child when you could play Dungeons and Dragons. And you didn't have to pay a man when you made more than $50,000. Nowadays, you can't buy a Pepsi for $50,000. Ah, yes, that was before Brandon told everybody to flee the earth. Um, (laughs) But uh, I I would say that, uh, you know, support your creators. Um, That is is your Goblins and Growlers publishing. Check out the store. your DM Daves, your Griffin Saddlebags, um, all of that. Oh, actually, one really important note to this is um, the Open Gaming License proposed both 1.1 and 2.0 right now, um, based on what I'm reading, kills virtual tabletops. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's 100% accurate. Yeah. yeah. Um, it may, well, it, of course it does, because they want they want their homegrown one D solution to be the only game in town yeah exactly they want that to be the only game in town and the you know the roll 20 licenses are gonna are gonna um run out eventually so i think that you're gonna see like um like foundry is gonna have some issues like i know they're really concerned about it like um so yeah no it kills virtual tabletops yeah i would have more to say on that if i played virtual tabletops but i don't i represent several Shout out to Alchemy RPG. Mm-hmm. The best. Yeah, I'm aware play. of them. I just, uh, I've just never used them for anything. Yeah. I, I used Roll20 about 10 years ago, and then I used Roll20 again not too long ago. And it it's was like the same the experience. Experience. it was the exact same experience. Subpar. Yeah, you know what? Um, speaking of things that aren't subpar that you haven't tried out lately, just because I know you don't have time, you can also... Stop it! Stop it! Check out Stop it. Forgotten Pat's podcast. <laughs> Ah. <laughs> Josh, what else should people check out? Well, I think if they're going to be checking things out, they should come over to Discord, which is where we spend all of our time. Well, where I spend all of my time. Noah, to a certain extent. Uh, bit.ly. I spend a lot of time there. Bit.ly slash Goblin Discord is where you can find the Goblins and Growlers Discord. Noah, where can they find the Forgotten Paths Discord? Uh, you can go to ForgottenPathsPod.com. And that's where you'll find a link tree that'll link you to our Discord, our Twitter, our episodes on Spotify, Apple, everything. Um, We have new episodes coming out all the time. As of this recording, we have 47 out. We've recorded 49. If you just want to figure out if you like it or not, uh, if you like our style of play, you can check out our holiday episodes. It's a four shot. Um, But, you know, dive in from episode one and tell us that you came. Uh, But yeah, it's ForgottenPatsPod.com. And you can also find me at my lawyer friend. Josh, let me let me rephrase my question a moment ago to you. If you were to say, ask your lady friend what people should check out that we produce, what would her answer be? 
I think if you were to ask Alex, the owner of Alpha Comics and Games, conveniently located in Willow Lawn, Richmond, Virginia, what you should check out that is a Goblins and Growlers, possibly a product. Um, I think she would probably point you towards one of our four adventure books, uh, three of which are OPD collections, single shot adventures that you can run in the course of about three hours on average. You, she might point you towards our custom character sheets, which currently are 5e based, but we'll see how long that lasts. Uh, <laughs> she might even point you towards some of our custom designed shirts, uh, some of which Brandon has designed with the very wholesome intent of getting the attention of larger legal entities and making them angry so that Noah can have just a little more work to do for us. Jesus Christ, Josh, how many times do I have to try to push you to talk about quid pro quo? <laughs> There's so many things to talk about, Brandon. And that's all the time we have. <laughs> I, just, I just like the idea of telling Alex that I gave you two opportunities to plug the podcast. and You took neither of them. I plugged the store instead. You know what? Like, that's where she actually makes money. We haven't made a dime off of, well, I take that back. Patreon is a thing. The people who support us on Patreon are heroes, heroes and champions. But we haven't made, like, direct money from Quid Pro Roll until Noah Josh, gets us some, some sponsors, Noah. There's a non-zero <laughs> chance that people might listen to this who've never heard of Quid Pro Roll before. Can you please, for the love of God, encapsulate a summary and tell them about right, it? Jeez, fine. Quid Pro Roll is an actual play podcast where our party of adventurers is trying desperately and feebly to bring dragons back to their world. Uh, Brandon plays a over-the-hill 1970s style southern wrestler who is placed in a high fantasy world and makes sense there somehow, even though we manage to work wrestling into, I think at this point we're down to like every 10 episodes or so, but it's still... It features pretty prominently in the podcast. I play a stealthy, shadowy, half-elf rogue. Uh, it turns out that everybody but Brandon's character is somehow related to nobility. It's, there's a lot going on in there. Go, go check it out. Pull up the most recent recap and run from there. My character believes in meritocracy. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, and also, I was about to say, oh, and to make it even more interesting, uh, my character, Charles Gravy Boat Barnes, is a triple multi-class uh, barbarian, bard, and what's my other monk. one? Monk. Barbarian, bard, monk. Yeah, that's right. Anyway, that might not mean anything here shortly if the new OGL comes out. So He'll be, he'll be a triple <laughs> multi-class something, something, and something else. Unless, yeah, unless we, we probably won't even use the term multi-class. We might, we might yeah, migrate okay. to a system that has a native professional wrestler class. And then, you know, we'll just go That's from true. there. All right. You heard it here first. Quid Pro Roll is migrating to Nathan uh, Paletta's uh, worldwide wrestling powered by the apocalypse. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Alex will be thrilled to hear this news. She will. She'll <laughs> she'll wish you had never mentioned quid pro roll. But anyway, uh, I would just like to do a quick shout out to my friend Josh in South Africa and my friend Tony in uh, the Pacific Northwest in Washington State, 
close to close to the home offices of many of these publishers because they've never listened to this podcast before. And when I mess- mentioned to them in the Discord the other day that we were probably going to have an attorney on to talk about the OGL stuff, they finally said, oh, yeah, I'd listen to that. So I'll hold you guys to that. Um, uh, Noah, do you have any uh, final thoughts or want to you know sneak in one more Forgotten Paths plug? That the OGL um, uh, 1.0a was an incredible boon to the entire tabletop industry. I'd be really sad to um, see it go because if you really think about it, Wizards has really forgotten its path um, as to there where it go. came from. And uh, if you want to hear more about Forgotten Paths, you can check out the Forgotten Paths podcast available wherever podcasts are downloadable. All right. Uh, well, thank you everybody for listening. I hope you found this uh, informative, enlightening, and thought provoking because we always strive for the highest standards of journalism and the highest standards of discourse here at the Goblins and Growlers podcast. As always, I am Brandon at Way of Brandalore on Twitter and Instagram, and uh, I believe also on our Discord, bit.ly slash Goblin Discord. So find me there, uh, Josh. I'm Josh Maltby at Black Cloak DM on Twitter and Discord. And I am Noah Downs at my lawyer friend. Everywhere. Everywhere. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back next time. Bye, y'all. Peace. like what you hear consider subscribing and giving us a review over on apple podcasts especially early in the feed subscriptions and reviews are super helpful for bringing new listeners our way thank you